Hey, my name is Mark Lamb. We haven't met, a few of you have met. It's been awesome meeting you a little bit. Man, I do like how many shine kids there are. That is awesome. I've got one of those emerging. Uh, he's in second grade. When do they start? I don't know, but they'll figure it out. I'm new here. If you haven't met me yet, this is awesome. I don't know that much. I think this is my sixth week here, and I'm not real sure. I've spent the last 14 years of my life living in um, Athens, Georgia, which is, is great. You know what I told my wife when we were having this conversation with some of our friends yesterday, I was like, I like loved our life there, but like I actually really love our life here. And I wasn't really anticipating that. We'll get more into that here in a few minutes, but I have come on staff as our extended pastor because if you didn't know, we actually have other people meeting in other places. What's up, Birmingham? I'm coming to you soon. And they're in Huntsville and Lake Martin's probably swollen today with the amount of people at the lake because y'all are all out there getting sunburned, but we're in a nice room and air conditioning right here. But no, I'm our extended pastor, so I'm gonna spend a year here with my family. We have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old little girl who is so precious. And then my wife, Courtney, she's over there. We're gonna spend a year of our life here. And then the plan is for us to move again, that we just got here, to Birmingham and go lead the church that's happening there. And let me tell you this about what I've learned in the short time that I've been here in Auburn, Alabama. You people, and I need to say thank you, you people are unbelievable in your kindness, in your hospitality, in your gratitude. There's a book that came out a few years ago that was talking about the perception of Christians in our culture today, and it was majority negative. You remnant of people are so different. Could you give yourselves a hand for choosing to be the church that loves their neighbor? Yeah, you can clap. I want you to clap for yourself. I don't think, because look, I come from Athens, and there's a ton of people right now watching this in Athens, in Atlanta, in all these different areas. They're watching your church, and what they don't know about your church is the people of this church that are on the move. You're the remnant on mission, and it is a powerful thing to be a part of what God is doing in this church, and I'm humbled to be here and be a part of what you're doing and to open God's word. Have you been tracking with us in this Acts series at all? Like, if you've been loving it, seeing Gage and Miles and all the different communicators that we've had here, it's been so good, and I want us to continue on where we've been going in the journey, and if you don't, if you haven't been tracking with us or if this is your first time, it's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, wherever you need to go, iTunes, or what all the things there for podcasts, you need to go track with us because what we've been doing over the last few months has been the deep dive of what happens when the Holy Spirit enters into a room full of people and then enables them to move forward. If you don't track them with the story, Jesus died on a cross and came back to life as he predicted and as the scriptures predicted, and then he found a small room of people, his followers, the remnant that had gathered together, and he gave them instructions. He's like, I'm gonna give you power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. You're gonna go do that. And the stories we've been reading and the accounts that we've been reading have not just been this historical account, it's been Luke trying to help people understand this is a redemptive story. It's a continued redemptive story from Old Testament to New Testament. And this group of people took off and started growing. It says that they had all things in common and they shared all things and things, people were being healed and messages were being preached and the whole city of Jerusalem was set ablaze. And then there's pushback. Peter and, uh, Peter and John, they end up going to jail for a second and the disciples pray for boldness and they get it and they start singing songs and things are rattled and they're just booming. The enemy keeps pushing back, but they keep pushing through until if you were here last week, Gage introduced something in the story that they weren't probably ready for. 
There had been jail as an option when you proclaimed Jesus, but now in the story, the option for capital punishment is now available. Stephen, one of the leaders, not the core leaders, but one of the leaders that had been assigned, he all of a sudden is pulled aside, taken in front of his peers, asked to give an account for what's going on, and then he's murdered, stoned for his death, and capital punishment for a young emerging movement, for the people of God that have been, it's going, been going pretty well. Now, capital punishment is now an option. One of their own, one of their neighbors, one of their friends has just been killed for what he's proclaiming to be true. Do you have your Bible today so we can continue on? If you've got your Bible today, I want you to hold it up right here. I would love to see you do the Bible drill. This is one of my favorite things. The first week that we came here, we had apparently watched this on YouTube a lot at my house when we were, before we moved because my second grader said, I've gotta bring my Bible to church because we bring our Bibles to church there. So good job, Auburn Community Church. You can bring them down. We're gonna be in Acts chapter eight. We're just continuing on in your story. Acts chapter eight. We're gonna be starting in verse number one. And as they always say up here, if you're there, say you're there. I love the little nuances of culture here. You ready? And Saul approved of their killing him. That's Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So, there was great joy in the city. Let me pray for us. Father, for us in this room, would you let this text, that a lot of us are familiar with, will you let this text pop off the page like it never has before? Would you let us see what you're trying to communicate in this, and may we continue to go and be the church. In your name we pray, amen. I've read this so many times, and I've been, as a pastor, so many times I've told people, when you need to like, feel some energy of what God's doing in a group of people, you need to go to read Acts, because Acts is so fast-paced, and it's so good, and it's so challenging, encouraging. You get to see like God on the move, and it's powerful, and when you read a text like this, you read it, and you wanna move through it pretty fast, because that's, it's like a good story arc. It's a good story arc in that there's like pushback against the church, but the church is gonna win. Like you read through a text like this and you're like, yeah, Saul came around and then he pushed back, but the church continued on and this is good news and there's great joy in the city. But I want us to pause in this text because if you read this text too fast, too often, you miss something so significant that's happening with the people and the power of God in this group of people because this this should have put the church down. There was other people in this time frame, in this area of history, that claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus was not the only one. There was ones before that would come to a group of people and they'd say, I am the Messiah. I am everything that the Old Testament was telling you. I am him. And they would gather a group of people. They would even sometimes do some miraculous things. They would gather an army around them and they'd say, let's go push back against Rome. Let's push back against the religious elite. And they would gather the group of people. And when they gathered the group of people, they would go forward and then the leader would end up getting killed. And when the leader's killed, the movement's over. Death of the leader always ended the movement. 
Every single time, you go back in history, death of the leader, it's over, ball game over. But for this group of people, their leader is murdered and then he says they, he came back to life and people rallied around him again and now another person has been murdered for this movement. So in like historical understanding, this movement should be over. Something categorically different is happening, what's happening here. So let's dig in to the text. Verse number one, Acts chapter eight. You ready? Saul, everybody say Saul. We're gonna talk about him so much for the rest of this book, but we're gonna continue on. Saul approved of their killing him. Saul is, last week Gage talked about you stiff-necked people, that's how Stephen described them, that rejected the Holy Spirit. Saul would have been one of these religious elite, he would have been one of the leaders of the like counter-movement saying, no, the Christian thing needs to be over. He would have been so protective of the Jewish faith and keeping it pure and keeping it from his understanding holy that he is one of the leaders of the religious Jewish people saying, no, we do need to kill Stephen. And in Saul's mind, this is a righteous thing. He's saying, no, this is not the way it's supposed to go. So it says Saul approved of their killing. He's rejecting the Holy Spirit. Continue on. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, this is not like a worldwide persecution, and this isn't even a worldwide movement. This is a, like an isolated, small group of people in Jerusalem. So when this persecution breaks out, it's not like everywhere because the Way of Jesus is not everywhere yet. It's this small group of people being obedient to what Jesus told them. Because if you flash back to just a couple chapters, you don't have to go there with you. We talked about this week one. Here's what Jesus' instructions were post-resurrection when he comes back. He says this to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised you, which you heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he continues on to this famous passage. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. This group of people, not the apostles, the apostles stay there. This group of people is essentially following instructions and they end up like completing what Jesus told them to do. They're starting to take the first step. This is the first splintering. These are the group of people that had all things in common and then like collective trauma is introduced with the death of Stephen and now the persecution of Saul that they have scattered. Then here's what happens next. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Now, this is again, if you read this too fast, who are these people that are burying Stephen? It says godly men here. It does not say apostles. There's other words that Luke could have used if he wanted to say the apostles buried him. No, that's not who it is. Godly men, if they wanted to say these were followers of Jesus, if these were Christians, there's other words that Luke would have used to indicate that these were followers of Jesus. No, these are godly men, which probably indicates these are Jewish people that are not in the way of Jesus, that have watched something so profound. They were probably the people watching the trial, if you call it that, of Stephen, they were probably standing on the side of the religious elite. But they saw something so profound in what was happening with Stephen being bold that they were moved. And in the morning here, everybody underlined the word mourned. Mourned here is not this like quiet, sniffly, subtle, 
gather with your friends morning. No, the actual text here, would, the Greek word would translate beating of head and chest. This is a loud response. So there's a group of men that weren't Jesus followers, that like see something boldness of somebody proclaiming that Jesus wins that are then moved, they weren't standing up for him, they see his boldness, and now they're willing to step forward more publicly, loudly, beating their head, beating their chest, and saying, I don't know what this is happening, but I'm gonna go, that's, that's encouraging, and that's powerful. But then it says they buried him. If you're a blasphemer, if you like go against what God is doing in the Jewish culture, and you're stoned for this, your, your body, your dead body is like thrown out to the woods for like animals to eat. But these men take the body and they bury him. They give Stephen an honoring death. They're, they're so moved by the boldness that they end up becoming bold in themselves, which is so significant. Stephen's boldness, if you go back, was so encouraging that it actually moved others to move themselves. Like one of the things that I want us to make sure we understood today that, Miles talked about this a few weeks ago, that great boldness equals gospel readiness. Was anybody here for that week that we, were just, we, we should pray for boldness? This is just another indicator this is continuing on. Uh, so point number one for today is continue in the great boldness for the gospel because Stephen didn't apparently wanna win the argument. He didn't wanna like be the strong guy. He just wanted to point to Jesus and say, it's not about my win, it's about Jesus's win. And then these guys are moved to great boldness because of his boldness. So church, we get to continue to be a people that aren't jerks, but we get to be a group of people that continue to point to Jesus wins, and we get to invite people along with us. But the story continues on, because what happens next with this group of people is so profound. Philip, that's who we're about to talk about. Verse number three, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Saul is like the face of the religious group that has been pushing back on them. The religious group is now personified in Saul, and he's being a menace in Jerusalem. If you go back and read some of the letters that he wrote to church, churches after he converted and became Paul, he talks about his ruthlessness of going after Christians, and this is what he's talking about. He was like hunting Christians and going after it in Jerusalem. And then the people that had left Jerusalem, wherever they go, this is what the text says, they preached the word wherever they went, which means when they arrived in a city that wasn't their own, they pointed it to Jesus. And the people would be like, why are you here? And they're like, because Jesus is the Messiah. Everything in your Old Testament, everything in the text is now fulfilled in Jesus. This group of people, wherever they went, in great boldness, in the ways of Stephen, in the ways of Jesus, they said, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world, but let's stop here for a second and look at the humanity of this. These people are political and religious refugees at this point. They had a home, they had all things in common with a group of people, but then Saul unleashes all of his inner rage and they have to leave. It's not like they got a meeting together and said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go on a mission trip to Samaria and Judea. That's what Jesus said, we should go there. No, they are leaving because their life is un under attack. They are having to flee because of something they didn't choose. They are moving because things are bad there. But then one of them gets a name. This scattered group of people, one of them gets a name. 
Verse number five, Philip, everybody say Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Now Philip, if you wanna know where he came from in the story, he's not random because a few weeks ago when we talked through, the apostles got together and said, hey, we need some more help with the tables for the widows. We need some more leaders here. They selected a group of seven men. Stephen was one of those seven men. It said he's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. The next one listed is Philip. So at some point, Philip, and he was likely a Hellenistic Jew, he wasn't like a regular Jew, he was a Hellenistic Jew, which means he probably had a little like understanding of the ways of the world. Some point, he decided that Jesus was the savior of the world, that he was the promised Messiah, and he chose to follow him. And he apparently followed him so well that when the time came for the apostles to say, who in the world are we gonna put in leadership here? They were like, oh, we should do Philip because he's crushing it. Philip is one of those people we should do. Philip is one of those people that was seen as worthy to be a leader of these people. And he's living in Jerusalem. He's gathered with all these people. And it says this, that he proclaimed the Messiah everywhere he went. But let's stop again. It's so easy to read a text like this and forget that Philip is a real human with real feelings real emotions, a real life around him. Let's stop and look when the world's going on with him. Because yeah, sure, he goes to Samaria, which is a town that probably would have rejected him. He goes there. Sure, he goes there and he preaches the word of God because that's what good Christians do. No. Philip just had his world undone. He had a good thing going. He was a leader of emerging movement that was impacting all of Jerusalem, and now he's in a city that didn't really like Jerusalem, and Jerusalem didn't really like Samaria. He's had to flee for his life. His home is no longer there. Like, he's gotta go on the run. And even what the text says, that godly men mourned Stephen's death, he was one of the leaders with Stephen. What kind of mourning what kind of pain is Philip experiencing in the middle of this? Because the text doesn't directly say like, and then Philip mourned, but Philip's a human. He's got feelings, just like you and me have feelings. And he's, for somehow he's pushing through. Gage last week talked about like this idea of like grief and loss. And he was talking about for our church that it would seem like in this season, it's experiencing like a significant amount of pain and lost, and I haven't been here that long. Like, I've been here six weeks, but I keep hearing stories of that. I keep hearing stories where it feels like the enemy's pushing back and hitting you so hard. But the kind of pain that Philip is likely experiencing here, death, has such a unique ability to put the brakes on with people. Just give me a head nod if you've ever lost somebody that felt close to you. And you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, that the ability to like, just get drilled by death. I have a weird, unique relationship I feel like with death. Like I remember some great grandmothers passing when I was young. I remember uh, an aunt that was relatively young dying in a car wreck, but I remember that. But I remember in fourth grade, when one of my best friends dies of leukemia. I can't remember that, in fourth grade. I remember as clear as today is today, my mom walking into the room saying, Seth has died. 
I remember what that feels like. I remember the weight of thinking, I just wanna hit the floor right now as a fourth grader. And I remember in seventh grade when a friend of mine died in a car wreck. I remember in ninth grade when an older guy that I looked up to passed away. I remember in 11th grade when another friend of mine died in a car wreck. I remember in 12th grade when a good friend of mine died, he got shot. It was gun violence by another one of my friends. I remember these and I remember the emotions. I remember the feelings. I remember the pain. I remember what it looks like to do that. And you do too. If you're head nodding along with me, you know what that feels like and you know what grief feels like and you know what pain and loss feels like and how it puts the brakes on your whole soul. For most people, when they experience death around them of a loved one, there's this tendency to want to push all of it down, to be strong for the people around you, or just because you wanna ignore the pain because the pain of death has this unique ability to just feel like it's crushing your soul and you're like, I'm gonna push that down so that I never have to feel that way again. For others of you, the pain is so rich and so great and so powerful that you're like, I will do anything I need to do right now to numb this, whether it's a prescription drug, whether it's a random drug, whether it's a liquid, whether it's a screen, another person, I will do anything in my repertoire to not feel what I'm feeling here. Don't, don't think that's what Philip did. Philip did something so different. It was October 2020 that I got bad news about my dad. None of you know my dad. You don't know that he is the greatest man that maybe has ever lived that I've met. We've talked here about spiritual fathers. My dad was a spiritual father to me, to my sisters, to everybody he was ever around. He read his Bible. He was generous. He was faithful. He loved my mom people would be like, he's the greatest man ever. I'm like, I know, that's a lot to live up to. Like, he's awesome. I talked to him every day on the phone for decades. And then October 2020, he went from healthy to not healthy. And he went to the doctor, and I don't remember where I was or who told me, which, whether it was him or whether it was my mom or whether it was my sister, I don't remember who told me that like, hey, dad has stage four lung cancer non-smoker stage four lung cancer. The doctor describes the scans of his body as points of light everywhere. They're like, it's in his lungs, yes, but it's also in his hip, it's in his brain, it's stage four. I don't remember who said that, but I remember the desire to when I got home as a pastor to numb to like run from the situation, to act like it wasn't there. The opposite of what Philip seems to be doing in this story. I remember, and I remember, I'm in trouble if I'm left to my own devices in this. I'm in trouble if I don't like pay attention to what like God might be doing in this. So I went and somehow found three men that I respected, godly Jesus following men. And I said, hey, you've all lost your dad. I don't know how to be obedient or faithful in this moment. You've all lost your dad. Can I submit my life to y'all's leadership? Can y'all be my own board of elders for this next season? And you tell me what to do. And for the next season, these men helped rescue my life in saying, you've gotta keep following Jesus. You've gotta be faithful. You've gotta honor God in this. They would ask me questions, how are you doing? And I would be honest. They would look at me and be like, are you tempted to numb? Yes. They'd be like, don't. Keep me in the loop. They'd be like, here's how to love your mom. Here's how to love your sister. Here's conversations you need to have with your dad. And every time they'd give me advice, I'm like, I don't wanna do that. I just wanna lay on the floor and like be sad. 
but you told me to do it and I said I'd be honoring to y'all and I said I'd respect y'all, so I'm gonna do it. Fast forward to January 2021 and my dad has passed away at this point and I'm standing in the same room that I last hugged him and I'm standing in the same room where is the only time he held my daughter Henley. I'm standing in the same room and I'm absolutely crushed because I'm about to do his funeral with my family. About to do his funeral with his closest friends and I'm crushed but I'm not gone, and I'm okay. Paul, Saul later becomes Paul, and he writes to a group of churches in Corinth, and he says, hey, I've persecuted, and I've been on the other side of persecution, and this is what it feels like. Paul's words are so much better than my words. He says it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter four, we were hard pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. I asked God last week, I said, what do I need to remember about the season of life for my dad? Because I knew I was talking about it in here with you guys. What do I need to remember? Because I don't remember the phone call I don't remember a lot, and the Lord brought it back to me with such clarity. My dad was not a public speaker. He was funny, but he wasn't like, he never stood on a stage and delivered a line. But he said something so profound. I was driving down a road called Burr Harris Road, about to take right on Hog Mountain Road, because that's a weird name in Athens, Georgia area. It's a real progressive culture. It's about to turn right onto Hog Mountain Road. There's a dentist office right in front of me. And kind of randomly, because literally, I talk to my dad every day. Kind of randomly, he said this. Track with me. He said, it's the biggest elephant in the room. Everyone is gonna die. I don't know why we don't talk about it or pretend like it doesn't happen to everyone. Jesus said, if we follow him, it will lead to our death. But at least following him towards death leads to life with him forever. Only a man that is in close proximity to Jesus at the end of his life has the wherewithal to say something like that. My dad got it, that it was never about him, it was about Jesus. Philip got it. He understood that it wasn't about his story, it was about a bigger story that Luke is telling us here, that there is a savior of the world that we're being included with. Here's what happens in Samaria. Verse number five, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed were healed. My second point that I want us to sit on for the last few minutes we have today is obedience in brokenness demonstrates power. Obedience in brokenness demonstrates power. Have you seen the person that has been absolutely crushed by life, that the kid got the diagnosis, or the person died in the car wreck, and you interact with them, and they're like, Jesus is good. And you're like, what are you talking about? Your world just came unglued. 
Why are you still saying that Jesus is good? That's not a normal reaction in our culture. That's a godly reaction. That is someone being obedient to the greater story that Jesus is trying to tell with his movement and his church. That these people, Philip, is so devastated by life. I imagine Philip like this. Like, I imagine him walking into Samaria and people are like, where are you from? Jerusalem. And they're like, oh, great. Another one of those showing up here. He's like, yeah. And they're like, why are you here? It's like, well, I was a part of a church, a gathering of people where the remnant on mission. Like, I, I picture him saying something like that. It's like walking in, and they're like, where's your stuff? Well, I left at home. Why? Well, Saul, one of the Pharisees, he's, they killed my buddy right in front of me. And then they told me I had to leave or I'm gonna die. So now I'm here. But Jesus actually said that we would come here because Jesus told us that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we're gonna be witnesses. So I'm gonna tell you what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've experienced. And he said that we'd go in Jerusalem, which is where we were, and I can't go back there. And now I'm in, didn't go to Judea, but I'm in Samaria and I'm here. And I imagine people are like, oh man, your life just got blown up. And I imagine him going, yeah. I didn't really choose to be here. This wasn't a plan and this wasn't strategic, but I'm here. God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is active and Jesus wins. And when he's obedient in the middle of his brokenness, great power is demonstrated because this is not where like great power, they should have rejected him because he came from Jerusalem. It is a miracle that this group of people in Samaria are like, yeah, you're saying a good thing and I'm in with what you're saying and it is crazy to think that this refugee coming when he didn't wanna come and the city is set ablaze. I don't think for me and my family, I don't think I'm in Auburn, Alabama today. I don't think I had the maturity a few years ago to be obedient to move here. Because what we're doing sometimes feels crazy than saying, hey kids, we're moving your whole life and everything you've ever known to another city for a year, and then we're gonna move again. I don't think I would have had the maturity if I hadn't walked through the brokenness and if these men of God hadn't forced me to be vulnerable and to walk in obedience in the middle of my brokenness, what I would have done left to my own devices, I would have missed out, I think, on tons of God's blessings, which is the shame that you're, for me, that you're gonna experience of like, for those of you that have like major loss and major pain or you're walking through it or you're about to walk through it, that you're like, I just wanna numb it or I just wanna stuff it and act like everything's okay. You're just missing out on what God's inviting you into. What? I didn't plan to be here today. It wasn't my strategy or my ambition to be like, I'm gonna go to Auburn and this is gonna be awesome, War Eagle or whatever they say here. I'm gonna, like that wasn't in my repertoire of thoughts. That wasn't my, I was gonna die in Athens, Georgia. I didn't plan to be here. I didn't wanna be here. I fought it. I pushed back and I kept getting moves in my head of like, this is the obedient thing to do. I don't think if I hadn't experienced 
the loss of my dad, I'd be experiencing the intimacy with my father that I am right now. Don't miss it. Don't miss out on the invitation of your brokenness to what it looks like to be obedient. These men and women of the early church were obedient in people saying, everything I have is a mess. All of my life feels like a loss right now. I don't have a home to go back to, but the church will prevail. God is still here. The Holy Spirit is still present and Jesus does in fact win. Don't miss out on what it looks like to be obedient. Do not stuff. Do not numb. Don't miss out on the gift in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your right. Don't miss out on this. The text continues on though. There's one last verse that we haven't hit on and it reads like this. Verse number eight. So there was great joy in the city when the people of God in their brokenness, in their loss were obedient. There was great joy in the city. And for those of us that know the text, I wish this said right here, there was great joy in the city again. This isn't the first time these people in Samaria have experienced Jesus. If you go back to John chapter four, you don't have to turn there, I'm gonna go there for you. John chapter four, Jesus experiences this woman who was like living with someone, not her husband, and she has this like grace and truth interaction with this woman, and she's like, wait a second, are you, are you the one that's promised? And he's like, ah, yes, I am. And she's like, am I gonna have to go to Jerusalem someday to worship you? Because in, Jer in Jerusalem, they say we have to go to Jerusalem. And he's like, no, no, a day is coming to Samaria where we will all worship together in spirit and truth. A day is coming. She goes back to her village where she's like, doesn't have a lot of like credibility. And she says, come meet the man that said everything I've ever done and I experienced him as good. What should have been shameful is now good. She experiences Jesus. And then here's what the text says right here. It says, verse 39 of chapter four, many of the Samaritans, this is again, before Philip got there, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony of this. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him for two days. And because of the words because of his words, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Jesus said, a day is coming to Samaria when we worship together in spirit and truth. It feels like there's division now. I don't know what the time frame gap was there, but I know I live here in this city now where there's churches. I was literally talking to a friend earlier and she's like, there's so many churches here. I was like, yes, there are. And we are pushing back against cultural Christianity hard. There's so many churches here that are full of so many good memories and people have experienced the Holy Spirit and they've experienced God. And you've got friends that have a Jesus experience somewhere in their story. Birmingham, you got the same thing. Lake Martin, you at least got a lot of water. Huntsville, you got the same thing. I wanna see the church continue to be the remnant on mission that says, hey, not everything goes well for us. All is not shiny and all is not good. 
but I'm gonna walk in obedience in the middle of my real life, in the real moment, I'm gonna keep walking because God is here, the Holy Spirit is present, and Jesus does in fact win. Regardless of what I'm walking through, those things are true, and I'm gonna live towards his story, which is a better story. And I wanna see in a city like this, or Birmingham, Lake Martin, Huntsville, I wanna see great joy in the city again that only comes from power that the Holy Spirit gives. But when you stuff your pain, oh man, when you numb your pain, you're just blocking the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So I do not know what it looks like for you. For some of you, you need to do some unearthing that might open a great well of pain again. There might be tears and emotions, that's fine. Jesus is inviting you into what he's doing. We're the remnant on mission together. We're about to step into communion time. Um, and here's what's so good about communion right now in this moment. For some of you, you're like, I don't wanna go back to that moment. I don't wanna unearth the pain. I wanna keep numbing the pain. The body of Christ was broken for you so you don't have to live in your brokenness. The covering of the blood is all over you for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. If you don't have like the elements, if you don't have the bread and the, water, the wine, like just raise your hand and one of our volunteers will get that for you right now. I beg you to pray in this moment and ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit by the power of God to help you be obedient in the middle of your suffering. Husbands, this is one of my favorite things. If you'll pray over your bride, and I'm gonna pray for you right now before we step into communion. Father, for the people of this church that are scattered all over the place, would you continue to bring us back together? You prayed in John chapter 17 that we would be one just as you and the Father are one. I pray for unity in this place that when people are experiencing pain and suffering, they wouldn't do it in isolation, they would do it within community. And in this moment, will you help us remember how good your sacrifice and your life is for us? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.